turn me back in your Bibles then to the book of Acts and chapter 11, Acts chapter 11, as we carry on our study through the book of uh, Acts. When I was uh, young, when I was quite much younger, uh, I would play uh, games of uh, biblical trivia at church and, you know, biblical quizzes at church, uh, and I played quite a few in my, in my young years. And one of the questions that always came up was, where were believers first called Christians? Where were believers first called Christians? And uh, so very early on, I learned about this place called Antioch, um, far earlier than I had probably read Acts chapter 11 in its entirety, because as um, Luke quite uh, uh, aptly tells us, in Antioch, verse 26, the disciples were first called Christians. I imagine that Luke uh, includes that detail because I imagine that Luke includes that detail uh, because it, it, it's it's the name at, at the point at which it was writing. It's the name that had become commonly associated with 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 this, these people. These these people of the way. Um, they were called Christians. And I always found it intriguing that that kind of detail could exist. The question was intriguing. When did they start to be called Christians? You, you just thought that the name by which the people of God, um, and this, you know, even as a child, child I, I imagine I was aware that this was the religion of the people of God, and that the name by which they were known should have, should have been a name that they inherited from, from heaven or something, and that from the very first time people began to trust in God, that they would have been called this name. So I just always assumed that Christians were something that, you know, even Abraham and Moses were called because they trusted God. It's not a bad shout. Uh, but as Luke tells us, no, there's a historical moment and period and time when this name became um, attached to these people who followed Jesus. And not just that, they, uh, it, it wasn't even their own invention or something. It wasn't by some divine revelation. It wasn't a prophetic work. It was people who observed them and gave them this nickname, you know, perhaps almost, yeah, just a, a nickname. Uh, oh, look at them. They're the Christians type of thing. Um, and it, it kind of stuck and they became, and um, it, it's, it's what the, 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 they became frequently known as Christians. Now, that being said, the name does... Uh, there is meaning to the name. I mean, it, it, it does, it makes us think how much importance we place on the title. Um, now, the, the meaning of the name makes a lot of sense. It, it indicates that these guys were, they were Jesus people, kind of what, what it means. It's, uh, they were Christians. It's almost like, yeah, they, they, it was Jesus Christ was there. Is everything okay? Jesus Christ was their leader, and... Uh, and so they were named after their leader. They made much of Christ. They were, they were Christians. It's a bit like when people call themselves Calvinists today, the sort of reaction you get. Because people say, you call yourself a Calvinist. You know, is, I've seen people say, I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. I, I kind of understand, don't you? You know, you call yourself after a man, they say. You call yourself a Calvinist. Like, are you, are you followers of Calvin? Well, that, that's kind of like almost theological jargon. Um, certainly it reminds me that I want to be named a Christian first before I've been named a Calvinist 
or a Lutheran or whatever, right? Associate with me. Let me be called a Christian. That will be good enough for me. Um, before you call me after any man's name, you call me after um, Jesus Christ. But this is how this this is how this 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 name became attached to these people. They were they were called uh, Christians. They were named after Jesus. They 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 they. they, they they made much of this Jesus, this Christ, you know, Christ, which is, I guess they, they, they probably thought it was the surname of Jesus. It wasn't his surname. It was a title. Christ means anointed one. It was the, the Greek translation of, um, of, of the Hebrew word Messiah. And so they were the ones who made much about the Messiah. They spoke much about the Messiah. In the New Testament itself, there's only two other occurrences of the title. One is in Acts, and one is in First Peter, where Peter says if any man suffer like a Christian. Uh, many other titles are used to speak about the church, right? We're called disciples, we're called saints, um, we're called believers, we're called brethren, um, and Christian a number of times. Um, but of course, the, the, the significance of being called Christians is more in, um, you know, it's, it's more in what, what the people represented it's, it's not so much the title itself that matters is what 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 who are these people who can be defined as christians what characterize their lives right it, it reminds me of uh, of shakespeare's um shakespeare's uh, line in romeo and juliet what's in the name right what, what, what how much importance do you attach to a name i have that quote somewhere do i um any of you here uh, Shakespeare, or let me not put any pressure on Remy, but what's in the name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. You get the sense? It's, name doesn't, is a, is a construct almost, is a convention. What really matters is the essence of the thing. And you could say something similar, right? It's the essence of the thing here in Christian. It's not so much a title that matters. And so what it helps us to see is so many people can call themselves Christians, but what's in the name? You know, you can call yourself there's many places today where people call them Christian church. And we have to say they don't have the essence of the thing. There's many places today where people bear the name Christian, but as far as the essence of Christian, they have no such thing at all. And that's the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing about reading in the inspired scripture about those who were first called Christians, the first Christians. Because what that does is it allows us to remind ourselves what is the essence of the faith, what is in those things that are essential, right? It's more than just about a title, it's, it's what we embody. And I want to, uh, let me use that as a, as a gateway to stress some of the, again, it's, 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 it's repeated, but, but some of the, those occurrences in the life of the first church that clearly signaled, indicated that these were the people of God and are meant to act also as instruction for us for the ages as to what it means for us to be Christians. Because we don't want to be Christian by name only. We don't want to just bear the title. We don't want to have a, the name of a, you know, of a church. We want to be the church. So what are the things that characterized um, the first Christians? What were they known for? What were the kind of things that as it began to be seen in their lives, in the community, um, people began to um, so people began to seek a way to identify them and say, these are the course, in this passage in Antioch, they're called Christians. Let me draw your attention to a number of those things in chapter 11. Well, first one, um, as always, was the proclaiming of Jesus Christ. They were known to speak much about this Jesus, right? 
I think that's what, um, that's, the, the, that's how this title becomes the appropriate title for them. Because everywhere they went, they were characterized by a desire to magnify Jesus Christ. They were always proclaiming Christ. Um, verse 19 tells us about, from verse 19, we read about how this church in Antioch became established. It actually starts from the persecution that the church in Jerusalem begins to experience back in chapter Eight. Now, you know that after, um, this is after Stephen has been martyred, and during that persecution, the Bible tells us about how these Christians went everywhere, and they were preaching the gospel to whoever would listen. They were whispering the gospel everywhere, uh, speaking the gospel. And um, that's how the Ethiopian unit comes under the impression of the gospel. And um, that's how the gospel begins to spread further into both Jewish, into, into Gentile territory, non-Jewish territory. Um, through persecution, um, they find themselves in various areas, and one of those areas is Antioch. Um, and at Antioch, um, some of those Jews who had been persecuted from uh, in, 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 in Judea uh, were, 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 verse 20, preaching the Lord Jesus. Preaching the Lord Jesus. They started to preach Jesus Christ. Um, and God's hand was with them. Um, they were known for proclaiming Jesus Christ. They were known for um, speaking about Jesus, so always preaching Jesus, so they, they, they become the Christians, the Christ people. It's very clear um, from, their, from their community that the thing that bound them together was Jesus Christ. Not some abstract idea of community, not a sentimental idea of love, not merely social work, but the magnifying of Jesus. And as it was, um, so it should be today that we are we're known for speaking about Jesus. Jesus characterizes everything about us. And um, uh, we, we, Dr. Dr. Allen used to always say this. We used to have a preacher here. And he used to always say that he would listen to sermons and count how many times there was references to the name Jesus in there. Maybe, you know, and, and he would count how many times, and depending on how many times that he could, he could give that, that preacher a good blast and afterwards. But, that, okay, maybe a bit too far. Don't start counting, don't count my own like that. But there is a point there that we have to be characterized by people who love to speak about Jesus. Our songs should be full of the name of Jesus, and people should not have to spend too much time around us in our community as a church and people should never have to taste the life of the church without knowing that Jesus Christ is the, forgive me for this, uh, I hope this not too, doesn't trivialize too much. He's a star of the show. He's a center. It's about him. It's not about people. It's not about figures. It's about Jesus. This is why Christians, we, 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 yes, we have to be wary about celebrity culture because it's about Jesus. We, you know, unlike, unlike the world, where you know men can feed their egos. Now we have to be, we have to have a, we have to not to honor each other. Absolutely, we, we must not also be uh, immune to encouraging and honoring each other. But there's no, but we don't have celebrities in the house of God. There's only one. Again, as I say, we can honor men and women, but we must know who's at the center. It's not like the world. In in the world, the, people are happy to be at the very center of the show. People are happy to be the one, and everything is all about them. And they're happy to receive all the adulation and all the accolades and all the adoration in the church. We make much 
of Jesus. And, and, and what it meant as well, this, 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 if you want, this obsession they had with the name of Jesus. The, the proclaiming of Jesus Christ, it, 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 certain things followed on from that. As I said, Christ is everything in the ministry. But it also meant that there was a central place for preaching, for preaching the word. There was preaching of the word. There was a, the, the word ministry was very powerful in the life of the church. I got an email recently. Um, uh, hopefully the person is not listening to this sermon. If you are, forgive me. But I got an email recently, and um, the, it was from a dance ministry. And they, they asked, they, they said, listen, we're, we're a Christian dance ministry. And they said something like, you know, we've, we've, gone to, um, we've gone to many, people have allowed us to take their services. We've gone to lead many services, you know, with, our, with dance and so on and so forth. Um, and it was, I mean, I haven't replied to the email. But it, it had me just thinking. Now, in fairness to them, in fairness to them, you guys are struggling, isn't it? So it's my fault now. Should I turn the phone on? Is it okay? Is it? This is what happens when Mary leaves. Guys, what should I do? Should I? Okay, so what's the point I was making? The dance ministry, right? And um, it had me thinking. I, I can't speak for these folks, uh, you know, uh, to be in fairness to them. But so many, uh, so many churches today, so much is done in churches in the name of maybe trying to win people and get people to come into church that would denigrate, that would diminish the centrality, the importance of preaching. You know, sometimes, you know, you go to services and loads of everything else, very little preaching. Um, you can have hours of singing, hours of dancing, little preaching. Uh, but that was not what characterized, you, you can't read Acts without realizing that proclamation characterized the life of the church. But not just that, not just preaching in the sense that we have it now as well, which is vital, which is central to the life of the church. So they taught, you know, they taught Jesus in the, in the gathered community, but also evangelizing. And this is, the, this is a very convicting truth as we read through the book of Acts that, you know, it's humbling and it really, it's like I read Acts and I think God is going to pose questions to our church because the church was characterized by telling pagans, telling the unbelieving, not just telling themselves that was vital, but also telling others. You know, they, they, they're preaching the Lord Jesus. They just went to Antioch. They've been persecuted. They find themselves in another um, land, in another, another town, another vicinity, and their first in, in, in instinct is to now share the gospel with others. You can't miss it, right? This is what was happening. The, the, the gospel was being preached to... They, there was evangelism. They were, they, were, they were finding ways to share the gospel with those who... Um, who did not know, who hadn't heard the Gospels. They were concerned to take the Gospel to areas and places where the Gospel was not being heard. And that characterized the first Christians. I, I don't know that we engage in this sort of discussion or debate as much, but there are some Christians who, you know, they say themselves, they, they, they want to go back to the basic Christianity. 
to quote uh, CS, the, the title of a C.S. Lewis book, they want mere Christianity uh, away from the trappings of liberalism or, 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 or worldliness or, or, or state, state religion. Remove all these trappings. What, what's basic Christianity? What, what, what characterizes pure Christianity that we find in the New Testament? And this is one of those things. There was a, a passion, a commitment, to share the gospel with the unbelieving, right? That's what, that's, that's, that's what Christians were known for. They wanted to tell others about the gospel. Is that what we're known for? Are we striving? Are we thinking of ways to bring the gospel to where it has not been heard? Are we known for wanting to share the gospel with uh, unbe the unbelieving, with unbelieving family? Is, there, is, that, is that an instinct that we have when we are, when we are, in, when we are in communities or groups where men and women are not Christians, do we have this instinct to want to say, how can I find a way to tell you about Jesus Christ? Or do we keep our Christianity, our faith hidden, tucked away? But the first Christians were known for that. In, in, a, in a desire to proclaim Jesus, it showed forth in the way they evangelized. Another thing that, that, that proclaiming Christ meant for the first church was that they, they made converts Right? Men and women were added to the church. It's something that we cannot miss. The hand of the Lord was with them, verse 21, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Right? Uh, the report of this came to the heirs of the church in Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. He exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. They made converts, people turned to the Lord. Right, and if and that that's what characterizes Christianity. You know, there, there there's some today, even to this day, who claim that um, Christians should not be going around uh, sharing the gospel with people. You know, they they, they 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 criticize the work of missions as colonialism, and and and, and you know, I'm, and I appreciate the way in which maybe some people have got those lines blurred because they missed the purpose of, they've missed the, the idea of evangelizing and missionary work in the scriptures. But any idea that it's, it's wrong to go to nations where Christ is not known and share the gospel with people is just not a biblical idea. It's not a biblical idea. Um, Christians will always be characterized by... Um, This is how Junior is treating me on Father's Day. Can you imagine? Wow. All right, okay. <clears throat> Christians were known for making converts, added to the Lord, right? So uh, Christianity will always be characterized by that, by sharing the gospel and wanting to see people changed, converted, turned to the faith. And we have to... That's, how do I say, you speak of instinct. When you speak of instinct, you speak of that which is innate. That which, this is basic to the Christian instinct. You know, if 50 years from now, some of us are still alive, it's unlikely that I will be part of that, but who knows. If some of us are still alive, our, our desire should still be 
to see men and women added to the church? How are men and women being added to the Lord? Now, I'm not saying that we can work that up or we can create that. It's God's, the Bible says God added. God adds, God adds, it's God. But we must have a, it it must be part and parcel of our Christian identity that we expect that when the gospel is being shared and because God's Holy Spirit has been poured out upon the church and because the gospel is the power of God, as, 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 as Luke says, they believed and turned to the Lord, right? Where Christianity is present, where Christians are present, you can expect to hear testimony. Where Christians are present, you can expect to hear people tell a story of how they were once, how they used to be, what their past life was and what they are now. The story of conversion is unstoppable where God's spirit is present, where Christians are present. They were marked by this, a desire to see an addition. More men and women come to the church. They were, they were, they, they're marked by, by that. Um, they were marked by discipleship, right? They were marked by discipleship. So they're marked by proclaiming, the proclaiming of Jesus Christ, as I said, they preached, they evangelized, and they expected to see conversion. So there was this proclamation. They were all for Christ. But it was always it's also marked by discipleship. Notice what um, uh, Luke says. He says that in Antioch, verse 26, the disciples were first called Christians. You know, a disciple, the word disciple means like a learner. So someone who he commits himself to understanding a path or a way. And the disciples were characterized by this. They were a group of people who clearly were devoted to a particular way, to a particular person, of course, the Lord Jesus. And this is how you know this to be the mark of Christianity. Because when, so this, a church that's persecuted in chapter 8, Jewish disciples, Jewish believers, they make the, they're persecuted, so they have to leave their land. They make their way to other parts um, other parts of the world in Antioch and so on. When they get to Antioch, they proclaim Jesus. When they proclaim Jesus, there's conversion. As, as these non-Jews begin to come into the church, these Gentiles begin to come to the church, these people, the, 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 the Christians who had begun to share the message thought that they needed, some, they, needed, they needed someone who was mature in the faith to come and encourage Right, so they went to call for Barnabas, who we've seen a number of times, the son of encouragement. Look at the description of Barnabas in verse um, 23. Well, verse 20, I'll read 23 and 24. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. He exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. What's the point I'm making there? They called the man Barnabas. Because he's, a, he's an example that the church can follow. They call the man Barnabas. Barnabas later on goes to call Saul because they see that he is capable of discipling. They call the man Barnabas because they need someone who is mature enough to encourage these babes in the faith. And that's, that's a good part of what discipling is. The church grows people. 
And so the call for Barnabas is a call that acknowledges the nature of discipleship. And what, is Barnab- what does Barnabas do when he comes? This, this mature brother, he says, verse 23, he saw the grace of God. He could see upon their lives. These are disciples. These are followers of Jesus. But what did he do? He exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. He told them to determine never to forsake this way. He told them to determine that they would never turn their back. He he, he pled with them to persevere to the end regardless of what came their way. He told them not to be moved by persecution. He told them not to be moved by prosperity, but to follow Jesus no matter what came their way. That's discipleship. Learn of the Lord. Later on, when Saul comes, the Bible tells us, um, verse, verse 26, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So he brings Saul with him. He calls for Saul. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. They discipled them. They explained to them the ways of God. They explained to them how come Jesus came to be the Messiah and how, his, how, how the Old Testament points to him and what this now means for the new community of God's people. And, and they discipled them, helped them grow, grow in their knowledge. And the church must be characterized by that today. Today you, you, you find places where you, you go to churches and there's no teaching of doctrine. There's no attempt to indoctrinate No attempt to bring people into the fold by teaching them about the fundamentals of the faith. That's that's not, but but the first Christians were known for that. For almost educating about the faith. And for commending the way of the faith to others. And for building them up. So the Christians were also known for discipleship. Another thing they were known for was they were known for gathering to worship. They gather to worship. Just we, we get, I mean, we know that already from the book of Acts, but we get short insight there. In, we, get, we get small insight into this in verse 26 that I just read when the Bible says, for a whole year they met with the church. They met with the church and taught a great many people. It's an insight into, you know, the, the, the gatherings, the gatherings. You know, the word church, the best, maybe the best translation of the word church is assembly. Assembling of God's people. You know why that's powerful? Some of us think, so I've heard another one. I've, I've heard people say the church means called out, which is not too bad in the sense that um, the called out would still bring the idea of called out and coming together. But, but, but that's based on an attempt to explain what church means by, what, you know, by, by breaking down the Greek translation of the word. The Greek translation of the word church that we have in our Bibles is, is ecclesia, right? And, and people break down the Greek and say ecclesia means called out ones, called out. Um, it's a, quickly, it would be like a compound, compound noun, right? That, that's, that's the phrase, a compound noun, right? So where you can, you can break a, a word into two parts and both parts would have like a meaning and they come together and they combine to mean something, right? So ecclesia, E.K. called, Ecclesia, um, E.K. out, Ecclesia called, called out. They say that's what the word means. But, but I've said this before when I'm teaching. When you see words in the New Testament 
and you, you want to understand what they mean. It's not as, ever just as simple as a dictionary search. What does this word mean in the, in the dictionary, in, in the Greek dictionary, for example? No, you have to remember that the authors of the New Testament are writing from a Jewish background. Many times when they use words, they're using them, make the best way to understand the import, the reason, the meaning behind the words they use is usually to understand how those words were used in the Old Testament. Now, the word ecclesia is a word in the Old Testament that translates. So now, when our New Testament authors are writing, they're writing in Greek. And they're also reading, even the Old Testament, they're reading the Old Testament in Greek. So there was a, there was a Greek translation of the Old Testament. The Old Testament is, is, was written in what language? Huh? Hebrew, Hebrew and Aramaic, right? It's written in Hebrew and Aramaic. By the time our New Testament authors are writing, because of the, the way the language has changed, and Greek is the, is the, is the language of the day, the lingua franca, um, they, they, they're actually, they're reading the Old Testament in a translation, the Greek translation, something called a Septuagint, right? But they were reading, so, so they're, they're no longer read, they're probably not reading in Hebrew as much, they're reading in Greek. Now, in Greek, in this, in this Greek version of the Old Testament, the word ecclesia is the word. If you were to read the Greek version of the Old Testament, it's the word that translates the Hebrew term for the assembly of God's people. Right? So there's a Hebrew word for it. There's, you don't care. But it's, it's, it's the Hebrew word that means assembling. You, you know why that's powerful? Because very often it's the word that translates the great assemblies of the Old Testament, like Sinai, when God's people gathered before him on Mount Sinai, the God's assembly. You know, the God will call a sacred assembly, an assembly where I will appear to these people, right? And now when you come to the New Testament, we're called the church. And, and what that translates is, we are the place where God appears, where God meets. We assemble before God. We are the church. We are the church. We gather to worship. And so we were, they were characterized by that. From the moment Christ begins to form his people, they're characterized by gathering. They were known for that. They gathered to worship. And I thank God that even in this day and age, if you were to play a word association game with people about what Christians do, they'll tell you they go to church. And that's a good thing. We gather. We gather under God's presence. But friends, let me just say this in that connection. Let us take that privilege seriously of gathering with God's people. Let me, let me put you like this. I'll illustrate it like this. And I have been saying this to a lot of people, so it's not like I'm putting out your business. But I've been having, when I have pastoral meetings with people, I've had pastoral meetings in the past few months and so, and people speak to me about their faith or their, 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 their weak how, how weak they are in their spiritual disciplines. They're not praying as much as they want to. They're not reading as much as they want to. And some people, it's not that they don't, desire, they don't love the Lord, they don't desire to. Some people just don't. They, they're just so, it's so hard for them to schedule. And, you know, they have jobs that are taking so much out of them and taking so many hours from them and so on and so forth. And it's, it's busy. And, 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 and they're focused on trying to have this individualized discipline of using the means of grace. There's a place for that, of course. But I, I've, I've always said to people recently, I've said, how about, are you using the church? I said to someone recently, I said, you know, I think 
the main place where you're meant to receive your instruction in God's word and understanding of God's word is the church. You, 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 you get what I'm saying? I'm, I'm saying that I think you're, you're meant to get the, the, the central place where you're meant to grow in understanding the word is not your daily Bible study. Even though, please, I'm, you can never read too much of the word. So please, be doing daily Bible study, devotion, all of that. Absolutely. Eat the word, meditate on it, crunch it. But I'm saying that I believe the central place where you're meant to grow in your understanding of the word is in the church. Not because I'm preaching. Could care less who's preaching. I'm saying because you're gathered with the God's covenant community. That's where. And so it's strange to me the way some of us treat the opportunity to gather. And I've been telling people, I've been saying, gather intentionally. Take the gathering seriously. Come on time. Not just because of, for excellence sake and discipline and so on, but because you have to take everything in. It doesn't make no sense to me, someone who's telling me they're so busy and they find it hard to, you know, find a place by themselves to read and pray. And when God gives us the opportunity of, you know, when you come to church and you're with other people of God and it's, 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 it's almost, it's a help, it's a support. Because these people are, you have to pray with these people. They're singing with you. You're not doing it, you're not going at it alone. And it's strange to me that we don't often take that opportunity as we should. We still allow ourselves to come into the house of God and be distracted. We still allow ourselves to come into the house of God and we, we, don't take, we don't take everything in. Take everything in. Sing in your singing. Pray in your praying. Hear in your hearing. Take everything in. Because this is... God's house where we gather the assembly of God's sacred people and God is here in a special way. He's here in a unique way. But the first church were known for that. Christians were known for gathering together. That's what they were known for. And um, if, if we are trying to go back to the essence, if we're trying to, 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 to stay in line with, with, with first Christians, we want to be of one with them, then will be marked by a passion for gathering with God's people. Just two more, two more things. The other thing that you see in this passage is that they were known for unity in the midst of the diversity. This is, a, this, is a, this, is a, this is something that's just coming up now. But they were known for unity in the midst of the diversity. You know that chapter 11 begins with Peter recounting the happenings of chapter 10. Because... After Peter had gone into the house of a Gentile and, uh, and uh, you can assume had eaten with the Gentile, the church in Jerusalem full of Jews were disappointed in him. They, were, they, were, they wondered, how could you eat? How could you make yourself unclean by eating with a Gentile? You know, does confessing Jesus Christ mean that we can now abuse the law of God? God forbid, absolutely. But Peter has to explain to them I've just seen how God's law, what God's law truly is. I've just seen God's law fulfilled. I've seen the progressive order of God's revelation. And God revealed to me, I should not call, uh, I should not call common that which he has called clean. Definitely shouldn't call unclean that which he has called clean. And God revealed to me, and he told the whole story of how through angelic intervention and the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, he was led to the house of this Gentile to proclaim salvation. And as they say in verse 18, when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance 
that leads to life. And that begun the awareness, that begun the understanding in the church that there was to be unity but with great diversity and that the church will be full of Jew and Gentile. And so later on, the next, next thing we see is this missionary endeavor by those Christians who are persecuted. And, and Luke tells us that initially, although some Jews only went to preach to other Jews because they, you know, they, they hadn't fully understood what God's new plan was, now there were some who began to preach to Gentiles. And the church in Antioch was a church that was full of a lot of, full of, a lot of non-Jews. And they all were united under the umbrella of God's word, Jesus Christ being proclaimed. And so the church, the first church is this place where ethnicity was not what qualified you, right, to be a member of the church. I'm not saying that it's wrong for a church to have people of the same ethnicity. Sometimes it's going to be necessary. If you're in a church in certain parts of the world where there's not, it's not a very diverse, um, diverse nation, there's not people are generally of the same ethnicity, then yeah, it's going to be full of people of the same ethnicity. But I said it doesn't qualify you. It certainly doesn't disqualify you. And the church is a place where there will be this, there's this equality because all are the same in Jesus Christ. There's unity and there's diversity and we must, we must, we must embrace that. We must never do ministry in such a way that places barriers to people because they are different to us, because they are diverse. We must never do ministry in that way, right? We, we, we must not even place, do ministry in a way that places barriers to people because their sins are different, right? Regardless of a, of a man or a woman's sins, we have to say to them, repent. Believe on Jesus Christ. There's a unity in how he proclaimed the gospel. Um, and where the church is present, where, where Christians are generally present, there will be a welcoming of all people under the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were known for that. They were known for that. People could see their community and say, oh, it's not easy to determine the lines across which these folks are. You know, it, it's really Christ that unites them. And the last thing, that is explicitly told us in this passage about them, um, about, about the Christians anyway, but which I think in the book of Acts we find stressed, is that they shared with each other. They didn't, they didn't just share spiritual things. They shared their physical things. They were a family. So let me read those closing verses of chapter 11, verse 27. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Paul. So there's a prophecy that comes to this church in Antioch. And they're warned, the people in the church in Antioch are told that the brethren in, in Jerusalem are about to go through a lot of trouble. It's about to be a famine, but that's been a, a, in, in lack, experienced a lot of lack. Um, and the church responds. Church in Antioch, right, where there was maybe a large number of non-Jews, 
respond by sending support, everyone according to the ability, to a church, the church in Jerusalem that is full of, that is probably, that is, that is mainly a Jewish contingent, declaring the unity of God's people. And quite clearly in, a, in the Bible, we determine, we declare our conviction, our awareness that we are God's people by sharing with each other, by supporting each other, by sacrificing for each other, by providing for each other, by extending hospitality to one another. This is something, my brothers and sisters, we must not forget. We must not forget to share our goods with each other, primarily to those who are in need, to be sensitive to the needs of each other and to, to, to give to each other. We, we need to, many of us need to repent because we don't know the last time we gave to a fellow Christian brother. We need to repent because we don't know the last time we gave to a Christian sister. We need to repent because we don't know the last time we shared with a brother or sister in Christ. We need to repent because we don't know the last time we, we, we extended hospitality to a brother or sister in Christ. Not just your friends, not just the ones you are close with or you know, very, but those who name the name of Jesus Christ. They were known for that. And this is, the, this is my fear, that without capturing this spirit that showed itself in the New Testament, in the first church, this spirit, for example, of sharing on hospitality, we are about to relieve ourselves of, one of, of a great force for witness. When we should be able to show the people, people in the world, that we are God's people because of the way we share, because of the way we bear each other's burdens. I'm not saying that that's all that matters, but that's one of the ways that God might use us to bear witness. God forbid that witness should be absent. You say, well, we haven't really faced any you know, serious issues like that where we'd have to, 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 to display that. But if it comes, are we ready? If, if it comes, are we ready to, and I, I, I trust that we are, but I'm calling us to be, are we ready to support each other in such a way that that brother's unbelieving parents will say, Wow, you guys are really a family, are you not? Are we ready to support each other in a way that that person's unbelieving friends will say, wow, you guys are proper a family, you're really a community, you're really a church. We are meant to be known for our sharing. And, I'm, and I say that because of the kind of world we live in, a world that's materialistic, that holds on to stuff. Be really, let your stuff go. Let stuff go. Don't hold anything too dearly because one reason, because sometimes God wants you to share your stuff. He wants you to share with others according to the ability that he has given you. Well, friends, these are the things that mark the life of the first church, a proclaiming of Jesus, a proclaiming him. They preached him. Uh, they, they, they evangelized. They sought conversion. The, uh, the making of disciples characterized the life of the first church. The gathering together for worship. There was unity in the diversity and they shared each other. And this is what made them Christians. And when those things are present in our in our churches, present in our church life, we can be Christian not in name only, right? And nominal Christianity is something that we reject. Let me give you the best example. It's the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, that there's some people who called him Lord. That's nominal. They just said these words. They just said these. They, they called me by my name, but they never knew me. So Christ says, depart from me, I never knew you. And so we also must reject uh, 
We must reject a spirit of Christianity in name only. And what is our only hope? Our hope is this. The same Holy Spirit that was poured upon that first church and made them who they were is the same Holy Spirit that is with us, that is in us, to make us what God wants us to be. Amen.